some reason, that was a source of anxiety for me. Was wow. just like, I can't, I can't, I can't change the name because everything is branded. Every, every package has the, you know, like Crazy Linen. And someone in the group, in the mastermind group, made a huge um, impact on me when they said, "The people don't care about the name; they care about the product." Mm. And and I and the, the, and the reality heard a lot is, of entrepreneurs. A lot of entrepreneurs get hurt. Oh, oh yeah, type, oh yeah. That type of talking. I think I rolled my eyes. <laughs> 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 I think I rolled my eyes. But then when I thought about it, I was just like, okay. If someone put that bedding on their bed and they loved it, and then they yeah, didn't remember good. where they got it, how would that you know? How would that hurt me? How would that impact the business? Welcome to the Traffic Sales and Profit Show. My name is Lamar Tyler. I'm your host, and we are here back because we're the premier destination for black entrepreneurs. If you're trying to figure out how to grow your business or how to grow wealth, guess what? You're in the right place. And today I got a special guest, one of my very good friends, Angela Hawkins, owner and founder of Bamblue, right? Um, and I want to talk about Bamblue today. I want to talk about your story. You got an amazing story. Um, was everything easy? <laughs> I was gonna make you laugh. You like, laugh. you like, hold on, right? I'm on the wrong show. Everything was not easy. I but was it, like, you know, but exactly. I know it was like Lamar don't play. Uh, but you've taken the journey that a lot of entrepreneurs take. So right. I wanted to, first of all, welcome you to the show and say I can't wait for this conversation. Yeah, I'm excited to have this conversation because I think a lot of people see you on social media. They see you on the stage at, you know, see me on the stage at TSP and in the audience, and they think, oh, Bam Blue, that was she did that so you know smoothly. Like, I remember when she started, but did you watch for all the turbulence that was going on between <laughs> shows and between, you know, the, it, it wasn't easy. And I think, especially when people tend to hear, you know, when they see, they hear, oh, Bamboo started, she started Bamboo after she started the mastermind. She joined the mastermind and then she started the company. It wasn't, an, it wasn't an easy decision to do that, but it was a necessary decision because I had been an entrepreneur before and I knew that it wasn't going to be as easy as I want to start a business, let me get going. It was going to have to be something different in order to sustain. So I knew that an organization or a community like Traffic Sales and Profit and my, the Mastermind was going to be what I needed to grow a new business, even though I didn't know what that was. And then I tell people that I went from conception to launch in four months and they, oh, oohs and ahs. But I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> well, as pretty as you may think. <laughs> but like that wasn't the final iteration of my business. That was, let me get open the doors. Let me get started. Let me just start someplace so that I don't get stuck. And it was dirty. <laughs> oh, so if you want to hear how dirty it was, make sure you keep listening because it's about to get good. Yeah. Now, before you did all of that, tell me a little bit about your background Be before yeah. you dove into entrepreneurship. I know this was not your first business. How do we right. kind of get to where we are today? It's interesting because I, I think as a child, I always knew that I had an entrepreneurial spirit just by watching. My mother was an interior designer, a fashion designer. My dad was into real estate, but he also had a, a government job. And I remember seeing my mom struggle through building her business. And I remember seeing my dad struggle with his side business. So in my mind, I was just like, nope, I'm going right into the corporate arena because mm. my dad gets a paycheck every two weeks and that's <laughs> what I'm going to need. <laughs> so I went to college and um, majored in accounting. 
And oh, everybody, that. yeah, everybody that knows that is just like, everybody that finds that out is just like, it does, that's not your personality. <laughs> but I always knew that as an accountant, I could be a business manager, but as a business manager, I couldn't be an accountant. Wow. So I went and I, I went for accounting and I came out and I came out and I was just like, I'm going to be CFO of somebody's organization. I'm ready. My first job was, you know, kind of an entrepreneurial experience. You know, they let you run and they supported us with all the education and let us run. Okay. And then I switched over to my career with Coca-Cola. And that was when I knew that I went to a 30th, a 30 year anniversary for one of my coworkers. And I sat there in horror. <laughs> I was just like, oh, wow. I can't do this for 30 years. Like, this is not me. I'm stifled. I can't be creative. I can't let my energy flow. So at that point, I think that that was in, I mean, that was really long ago. I won't put it. <laughs> but I went and I got a business license because I was just like, I'm going to grow my business in conjunction to growing my career because I know ultimately this is where I want to be. So I grew my um, design business and then I ultimately wrote a, an award-winning um, uh, business, business plan, which at the time, everything was about the business plan. Yes. I wrote it. Oh, it was good. It was <laughs> How many pages was it? Was it? 30. Exactly. 30. Double space. I felt it in my bones. <laughs> Double space. I mean, it was good. And then I had the, the, the financial you know, background to really make sure that those numbers came through. And it was, it was really good. And I okay. felt like that was going to, because it's so good, this is going to work. So you talk about design, you talk about interior design. Interior design. And then what I did was I wrote a business plan that actually expanded that idea to have a design gallery. So okay. I was ready. I was, everybody agreed. They gave me money for it. I was good. <laughs> so I opened the doors to my interior design gallery right when the recession hit in 2007, 2008. And I tried to push through, but I ultimately had to close it because I had my award-winning business plan never talked about the economy falling to the levels and the depths that it did. So I didn't have a, a, a pivot out of that. And I was by myself. I didn't have a community. I didn't have anybody to support me in trying to get back on track. So the best thing for me was to go back to corporate. But I knew that going back to corporate had to be temporary. Yeah. It had to be a, you know, a quick fix to right the ship and then get back out. Well, that was a nine-year writing of the ship. <laughs> it oftentimes happens like that. It oftentimes happens like that. It was a nine-year writing of the ship. And I remembered um, when my before my dad passed, he had, he he was hesitant about me leaving corporate the first time. But when it came to the second time, um, before when I went back to corporate, he said to me, I want to make sure that you pursue your entrepreneurial um, endeavors because this is something that not many people do. And I want to make sure that you put the effort into getting back out there. Don't get comfortable. So when he passed, I was still in corporate. And I said, OK, no, I got to change this. Yeah. And then someone... <laughs> brought me to TSP. It was a pop-up that you did in a hotel, a little hotel. And I, I don't even remember why I thought it was important for me to go at that time, but I knew I had to get there. And when I did, I swear the energy in the room just, it, it, I mean, it just enveloped me. And it was just like, this is where you belong. This is how it's going to work. Wow. And everybody was talking about things and I'm asking questions and getting answers. I didn't have that before. I didn't have any of that before. So to actually see people that look like me and had the same gumption as me, that had the same drive, and you can almost feel the energy, you know, running in their bellies where they were ready to go. 
And I was texting my husband like, this is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, and I didn't know, I didn't know after that you were going to sell into live, into the TSP live. But when you did, I was just like, I'm there because this is what I needed. So when I tell people that story, it still doesn't mean that it was an easy path. It just means it was a path. And so that was what was exciting for me. So when we launched, went from concept to launch in four months, I, we launched Dirty. We got it out. It was just like, pick a date. And that's when you're going to launch. Happened to be my birthday, <laughs> which was convenient because we all know that Facebook, you know, is wide open on your birthday. Yeah, Everybody yeah, gets to see your post. <laughs> so I launched on my birthday and it was clunky. It was a site that I built myself. You know, I the I wasn't even sure that half the things worked. I just wanted it. <laughs> I just wanted people to see my stuff. And I think one of my friends actually was my first customer. And it may have been my only customer that day. But I knew that I, it was out there. And now it's just time to analyze and optimize. But because I have launched, now it's time to analyze and optimize. And that's what I kept doing, which meant that I did pivot quite a bit in that first year. Okay, this product isn't quite working. Let me. I, there was at one point, I had these very expensive sheets that I was um, I was wholesaling for someone else, and my customers didn't want that. They didn't even want to look at it because it was a ridiculous price, and it didn't make any sense to them. So I pivoted out of that, and then it was like, okay, well, you know, I'm not ready for the sheets yet. What else do you have? And I didn't have anything else. I had, you know, and I had launched this really bad nightgown that I didn't understand how to do this, the sizing. <laughs> and this is still under Le Creatif? This is under Le Creatif. Okay, because the original brand was before Ben Blue was... Le Creatif Linen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you couldn't tell me anything about my name. I was like, and people, I mean... It's like, how to spell that? What's very the, smart people <laughs> told <website>? me. <laughs> very smart people told me, uh, it's hard to spell, it's hard to pronounce. I don't even know if I put it in right when I put it in the search bar. You know, and I was just like, but... That's the name. (laughs) (laughs) And it was so it was so funny how obvious it is after the fact that it was not helping. That was not serving the brand. It was serving my ego because Le Creatif was the name of my interior design gallery. And I wanted everything to match. But um, luckily, and at the time it was unfortunately, when I tried to trademark it, it came back as a, a, a an error because there was another company that had the English mm. translation of that same name. So I broke down and cried and everything else, but that was one of the biggest pivots I had was because I couldn't trademark my name. Now, now that probably would blow some people away that are listening. Your name, it wasn't even the exact same name, mm-hmm. right? It just was the saying, hey, what you're requesting a trademark is the French version of a company that's already trademarked, so it won't allow you to do that. Right. Did that surprise you? Yes. Because I didn't even know that was a thing. Yes. It, it did surprise me because I thought for sure if there was one thing I had going for me was that I was using a French name. And of course, you know, who else is going to think of Le Creatif Linen? You know, I was just like, oh, we got this in the bag. I was so confident that I filed it myself. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I don't need an attorney for this. I don't this, need an attorney. This, this is a done deal. <laughs> <laughs> and when I got that letter, my mouth hit the floor and I was just like, wait a minute. So there was another company called The Creative Linen, which is the English translation. And their um, point was it was easy enough to translate and it could cause confusion. Mm. So at that point, I could have fought it. But I think what what I didn't want to do was waste time and money. Yeah. So then I hired a lawyer. <laughs> and then the lawyer said, that's going to continue to cause you problems. Even if you finally do get it passed, it's going to continue to cause you um, time and effort to 
to defend it. So I said, okay, now it may be time for me to change the name, but I didn't know what to change the name to. And it occurred to me at that point, it's because I'm not a marketer. Mm. You know, so, you know, I'm not a marketer. So I'm trying to find a name that not only is going to pass trademark, but is also going to make a stand in the market so that people know who I am, what what I stand for, what the product, you know, I want all of this to be invoked within the name. So it wasn't for me to do that. Now, let me ask you this. Before you went and changed the name, go back to that point. Like, how did you feel once you realized that, hey, I've been out here selling with Lit Creative. You know, I'm telling people this is my brand. I'm probably handing out business cards and whatnot. People love business cards when they knew. Uh, <laughs> you know, I got the domain. I got the website. I put all this work behind it. But I have to change my name. Like, how did that make you feel at that moment? Honestly, it, ma- it made me scared. Because at mm-hmm. that point in time, I was still kind of struggling getting the brand out there, which meant I was sitting on a lot of inventory. And that mm-hmm. inventory was all branded. And it didn't scare me about the website because I knew I could change the domain name and I could route like Creative Linear to that domain. It didn't scare me about the business cards because I think at that point I was kind of in between designs anyway. So I was, but I, the, the product and the product really scared me. And then also how the people were going to accept the transition. You know, how were they going to accept you know, Le Creative is now Van Blue or whatever the name was going to be. Right. Um, so I knew that when I came out with it, it couldn't be just a haphazard, oh, we changed the name. It was going to have to be a story behind it, like why we changed the name. Not, you know, I didn't need to tell them the trademark, trademark. story. <laughs> like, that's a story. <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> that's a story. <laughs> but what I also realized in the, in the transition of the name was that there was no real story behind Le Creative Linen. There was no real um, identity behind it. It really was, if you thought about it, an extension of my design business because I didn't create its own story. It didn't have its own personality. So this was the perfect time to create that. And that's where we got to. I had to bring in somebody to do it. <laughs> okay. So so I love it, right? So you got, you know, you got fear, probably a little anxiety around, I got to change his name. Now, when you talked about the inventory being branded, because um, we're talking about like bedding and, and bed linens and things like this. Was it just on the outside of the packaging? Was it also, because I'm trying to remember, I feel like yeah. the sheets themselves, like... There's a care tag. There's okay. the, yeah, there's branding tag. So there's tags and everything all through this package. And if you can imagine... You, I mean, my sheets weren't just a typical fold them and put the little cardboard inside. They were rolled and put into this little duffel. You like, you know, it was like sausage into this duffel. <laughs> so you weren't going to just be able to take hundreds of, of bags of linen and unroll it and, and change the tags. And I remember, for, like I said, for some reason, that was a source of anxiety for me. It was wow. just like, I can't, I, can't, I can't change the name because... Everything is branded. Every package has the, you know, like crazy linen. And someone in the group, in the mastermind group, made a huge um, impact on me when they said, the people don't care about the name, they care about the product. Mm. And and I and the in the that reality, hurt a lot is, of entrepreneurs. A lot of entrepreneurs get hurt. By oh, that oh yeah, type of, oh yeah. That type of talking. I think language. I rolled my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I think I rolled my eyes. But then when I thought about it, I was just like, okay, if someone put that bedding on their bed and they loved it. And then they yeah, didn't remember good. where they got it. How would that, you know, how would that hurt me? How would that impact the business? And then that same person, I think, made the suggestion, tie your, keep the domain of Lake Crazy Flint and don't let anybody else get it. And then just 
keep tying it into Van Blue. So if they say, oh yeah, I got these from Le Creative Linen, it would take them back to the new business, which was genius. And I think that it calmed me down, it you know, relieved <laughs> some anxiety. And, I, and, and that was exactly what we ended up doing. But we did a campaign f- to change the name that was probably a month long. And it was, I mean, even the graphics kind of faded from Le Creatif to Bam Blue, which was really cool. And then I did, at the time, you know, I was not trying to get on social media to do any kind of lives. I was on lives every day talking about, <laughs> we got something coming, something exciting, da, da, da. And then, so when it came out, a lot of people knew about it. And I think we even ran ads to kind of show the transition from brand to brand. But it still happened when the when the new brand launched. I got people in my in my DM. There's a company out here that looks just like yours. <laughs> They're selling the Trying same to steal thing. Your stuff, girl. <laughs> it was cool that I knew I had people that had my back. But I was like, no, that's me. <laughs> now I, I love it, and even what you're talking about, it makes me think about Aunt Jemima, mm. the pancake shirt, and the rebrand. Yeah, and I've been wanting to do in one of the conferences. I say I'm gonna do an example. Maybe I'll use that. And the Lick Creative to Band Blue, right? Right next to each other. Yeah, yeah. Be- because what Ronnie and I saw, we would go to the grocery store and, um, you know, they had Aunt Jemima syrup on the, on the shelves forever. Mm-hmm. Then it was like, they took our picture off or something, but it was like the same bottle. Right. Then it was like, they moved the picture of like, like a little cabin there or something like that, right? Or, or Millworks or whatever it was. But then like, they gradually changed from like that iconic brand to the brand that it is today. Yeah. But like you said, it wasn't just over, it wasn't just like a, a, a switch right. to like, I don't know what this is or what it looks like. It was right. like step by step and they gradually did it. Right. So basically you did the same thing years ago. Right. So they may have been copying. They did. They did copy whole... me. They actually called. <laughs> <laughs> I got some royalties coming. <laughs> No, that was exactly what we did. And I thought that that was the best way to do it because I wanted to make sure, one, to take the customer along the journey with us, you know, so they got a chance to see and and really understand why we changed. Like I said, it wasn't the trademark we gave them. (laughs) We gave them what I what I told the the which was a great um, story for the brand. And it was very true was that I wanted the name to invoke what the product is. So bamboo is easy to, when you hear that, you automatically, like I always trip up and say bamboo on accident. <laughs> you automatically think of bamboo. And then with the blue on the end, it talks about serenity, peace, mm-hmm. and calmness. So when you put those two together, it's a made up word, which is perfect for trademark, by the way. <laughs> Make up a word. Don't try to use something that's out there. And when you when I did that, people, oh, Okay, because what I realized was Le Creative Linen, they had no idea what I was talking about. Right. It, it just didn't matter to them. So, like I said, Le, Cre- Le Creative was for me. Bamboo was for them. And, and Oh, that's good. Yeah, and so uh, that kind of translated. So, I love that, right? You said, hey, that first one was for me. Bamboo was for them. <laughs> so, you transition to Bamboo. Um, everything's going well, right? Something else I want to point it out. So many times I think people get caught up with decisions because hard decisions happen all the time in your business. Mm-hmm. But what I always say is that wherever you're at right now, it's harder to make it further down the line. Because as you grow, right, like the best mm-hmm. time to make any type of change mm-hmm. is always right now. If you're like, man, yeah. I got a thousand customers. I don't want to do it. It's easier at one thousand customers and ten thousand customers. Yes. You yes. know, I don't want to do it. I got, you know, a million people follow me on TikTok. It's easy to do it when you got a million versus two million. So yep. now is always the best time. So you made that transition. Um, you know, you launch Band Blue, uh, you roll it out, you got a story behind it, which I love because I always say that selling is storytelling. Right. So you got a story behind it. Let's talk about the growth of Band Blue mm-hmm. and let's talk about e commerce, right? Because mm-hmm. you're primarily e commerce brand. Primarily. Uh, with roots in 
you know, I believe you vended a little bit in the yeah, early days. I vended a in, lot. In, that was lot. my jam. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about e-commerce and some of the things you learned across the path to building this, you know, multiple six-figure thriving right. e-com brand. With e-commerce, said you vended, what are some of the differences oh. that you saw? <laughs> so it was funny when I first started with e-commerce, I did not want to vend. And my thought was, no, it's a luxury brand. I don't want to be in the streets, you know, <laughs> you know, hawking my product. But what I realized was that in through vending, I become more familiar with my product and how the customer receives it. That's good. And I also became the, an expert in understanding the fabrics that I was selling because I was explaining it to people would come by and I would purposely put things in the walkway of where the people would pass and they would touch it and stop. And they say, oh. Oh, that feels nice. Oh, I love this. And then I'd get a sale right then because that person has already bought it in their mind once they touch it. I would walk around in front of my stand with the bedding. Oh, touch this. Feel how cool that is. That's, you know, all night yeah. long. It's a cool side of the pillow all night long. You know, <laughs> so I'm telling the story and I'm talking to people and I'm getting feedback from them on things like pricing and styles and designs, you know, colors. All, this is all real-time feedback. This is all, I mean, gold for me. And I didn't realize how important that was because when I went back to my online and being focused on e-commerce, I realized I was missing a lot of that information in trying to communicate it to that online person. That online person can only see the screen, whether it's their computer screen or their phone screen, that's all they have. So they can't walk by and accidentally rub that fabric. They can't talk to me and ask me about sizing. They can't, you know, look at it and decide if that's the right color for them. Yep. So all of this stuff has to be communicated through an online platform. So it changed how I described my products. Um, it changed how I set up my, my customer reviews. Being able to get picture reviews, so important. So you get to see it on a real live figure, you know, not just the the model that I have decided to use for that design. You get to see it on different size people that, okay, that person said she bought a large and she's normally a size 12. That's perfect for me. You know, so um, those things were important. Being able to communicate all of these things through the online platform. Now, there are other products that I have that really require more of a description, more of a full you know, embodiment or, you know, being able to envelop a passion in the person. So think about the candles, for instance. Um, I can tell you that this is an Egyptian cotton candle. You have no idea what Egyptian cotton smells like. Correct. Correct. <laughs> You're absolutely right. <laughs> so the best thing that I could do is go back and make sure that I'm giving you a description that makes, you know, it's going to tell you the notes that are, that are in that candle so you okay. can smell it when you read it. Um, it's going to also tell you how long that candle's going to burn. It's going to tell you some of the uh, options that you have for reusing that container when it's done. You want that person to experience not only the customer journey up until the point that they buy it, you want to create that journey for them in their mind by explaining it to them and describing it for them. And what I like to say is you want to try to see if you can hit all five senses. So you want to explain what it smells like. You want to explain what it tastes like. You want to explain what the visual is and how they can envision it in their own space. So what it feels like is so important. You know, so all of these things are what is going to sell the customer. People are more apt to buy online, but they're also more apt to hesitate to buy online when they don't know what they're buying. Okay, so I love it. Uh, so you got that that real feeling of who the customer was, right, by vending and talking to people. and And... You know, one of the things I want to point out is you talk about, hey, you know, we're a luxury brand. Vending doesn't always have to be at the swap meet. Right. Because you also <laughs> did some pop-ups in 
luxury, uh, luxurious um, furniture shops and stores. And, you know, you did America's Mart in different places. Mm -hmm. So you 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 touch different places and different levels of vending that yeah. are out there as well. Yes. And I did. I did make sure that whenever I was invited to do a vending event, I asked some pertinent questions. Who's your target audience? Who are you marketing to? Do I have the option to market to my audience? Um, where are you set up? Do you have pictures of, and images of the inside of the location? That's good. Because you want to make sure that your brand fits the environment because you don't want to end up in the swap meet. <laughs> I've been invited to a swap meet. <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> You're like, uh, we're not available. Try and lick creative. <laughs> right. Unfortunately, I, I turned around right back to me. <laughs> so I love it. All right. So we built and we're growing it. Now, since you like literally started this brand from scratch, what made the most difference in getting to your first uh, 100K, right? Your first six figure year in business. You remember yeah. what that mm -hmm. you know, it's been a while ago. What, mm -hmm. what, what was it? <laughs> The flip this switch. Uh, what happened was Lamar said. <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the most pivotal changes that I made was stop trying to sell people the product that needed the most nurturing, the most education, mm. because that was going to be a longer conversion. And I didn't have a strong nurturing process to keep them in the funnel while I was nurturing them. And for you, what, pro what product was that? That was the bedding. Okay. So the bedding was a $200 sheet product. And for my customer who I'm talking to, they're more apt to buy from Macy's or Target or, um, you know, even TJ Maxx or what have you. And they're probably spending around $49.99 for, yeah. for sheet set. So for me to convert them into a $200 product, I need to talk to them and explain to them why I'm taking you out of cotton and I'm putting you in bamboo and it's going to cost you $150 more. So that was a process. And I was having a hard time keeping them, keeping their attention as I was nurturing them. So what you had suggested, which was an excellent suggestion, <laughs> was to create another product that is an easier conversion that proves the, you know, the viability of the company, that proves the, you know, the customer service of the company, that gets them to know, like, and trust me, and then convert them into that. And during that, you know, while they're buying that lower product, which ended up being the pajamas, I'm nurturing them because now they're in. Now I can talk yeah. to them and I can tell them about the bedding and the, the amazing, amazing transformation that these people are getting with the full bamboo experience. So that was pivotal for me. And I think that that made a huge difference. That kind of notched us up, you know, one rung. Then it came out where I was getting a lot of feedback, just listening to the customer. I was getting so much feedback from uh, women and men that were asking, where were the men pajamas? They didn't have, I didn't have a men's option. Yeah, I, f I totally forgot that you started without the men's option. Oh, I didn't want to have a men's option. Why not? Uh, because men don't buy. <laughs> 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 but what, what became evident to me when I was getting that request from both men and women was, women want to buy this for their men and men want to experience it. So let me continue to sell to women, but I'm going to sell it to them for the men. And I mean, that product to this day, the men's product outpaces everything. Really? Everything. Wow. I couldn't keep, for the first two years, I couldn't keep men's pajamas on the shelf. I had to pre-sell every single pair of men's pajamas. And when they would come through the door, they were sold. And it, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I was just like, how does this happen? What happened, what I noticed was that, like I said, the women were buying as gifts and they would come in and they would buy for the men for Christmas or Father's Day or what have you. And then the men would, th that same man would come back and buy all colors. 
So oh, wow. that man, that man. That's me. <laughs> I am that man. Like when I find something I like. Exactly. I like these shoes, I, got, I literally got like a black pair and a brown pair. And then I went back to buy another black pair for when these get worn out. See? But then stop selling. So <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. And and it's it's common nature. It's through it's throughout the whole male species that happens. So I was so when I when I found that out, I was just like, okay, well, I have to tread lightly because I can't just throw something at the men that they're not going to want or, you know, or appreciate. So the while the styles are limited, the colors are plenty. And that's what they do. They like the style and they come back and they get all the colors. It it is amazing when I look at the numbers and see how well men's pajamas are doing. And then I just introduced men's robes. So I'm trying to get that same uh, fire, you know, to to burn in the men's robes. But um, so that was that is what got me to a hundred thousand was the men's pajamas. And then at the same time that I launched the men's pajamas, I went back into ads and I went back in in a strong way because we had just hit the pandemic. Mm. And during the pandemic, those at the beginning of the pandemic, ads were wide open. I mean, I'm making 10 to 15 X ROAS on wow. my ads. And I was just like, how can you not? <laughs> like, <laughs> let me find some more money to put into this thing. <laughs> and I was selling in a pre-sale model because like I said, I couldn't keep pajamas on the shelf. We were having a, a supply chain issue and we had a customer demand. So I couldn't keep anything on the shelf. So people were willing to wait 30 days to get their pajamas. So that, you know, that right there was like, I was, it was, I was amazed at how, you know, they have the little ding on your phone with yeah. Shopify, it was ding, ding, dinging all day long. Nothing going on. It was just that that <laughs> ad was running and the, the product was hitting and it was perfect. So that was what got me to that first six figures. And I remember it was, you know, so the pandemic happened, you know, started in March. So from March to June was when I I think I probably brought in the bulk of the 100,000 for that, you know, um, mastermind year, which would have been July to June. And I remember I wanted to get on that stage, that six-figure stage. And it, we, I felt like we were down to the wire. Because if I can remember correctly, in March, the beginning of March, I was $70,000 away. Wow. wow. <laughs> I was $70,000 away. And I kept saying to my, you know, my cohort, my accountability friends, I was like, yeah, I really wanted to get on that stage, but I'm $70,000 away. And they were like, you could do it. Right. Man. <laughs> so what? <laughs> you got I'm time. I'm telling you, it, tur- it, it turned on. I mean, it was like gas was fully ignited at that point. I love it. So, so many nuggets in there, right? You talked about um, being able to find something that made it easy to acquire customers and then getting them in. And then the fact you got to still nurture them mm-hmm. along the way. You talked about uh, finding, hey, you know, once men like these, they start liking different colors. So we're going to supply the customer what they want. Right. And and it like really parallels what you talked about earlier, where you said, hey, you know, before, like the brand was more focused on me and what I thought, mm-hmm. what I wanted. But now you got this brand where you're literally in tune with the customers, with what they purchase, how they purchase, finding that the women were actually purchasing for the men. Right. And then creating new lines around uh, those men and then what they can do and then again knowing how their shopping pattern is right I love it. right yeah definitely getting in, into the mind of the consumer is key is pivotal you can create for yourself all day mm, <laughs> you right. can create for your friends and family all day everybody's gonna have an opinion on how you should run your business but the opinion that matters is the customer's opinion so do whatever you can to get that in do surveys do vending you know do what you can to talk to your customers, call your current customers and have conversations with them. Ask them what they think about the product, what they think about um, the new direction that you're going in. What I like to do also is my, I have a Facebook group and it's called um, Bamboo Sleep Lounge. 
And in that sleep lounge, we have what we call Bamboo Boardroom. And I'll throw <laughs> ideas out there and say, what do you guys think? All right, I'm thinking about this new color and da da da, da. What do you think? Or, you know, should it be this or that? And then, hey, give me a, a slogan because we do some, you know, conversational pajamas. Give me a slogan or a saying to put on the front of this pajamas. What do you think? Here's the design. Here's the color. What do you think? And then we have all these ideas come in and then we pick one and we show it to the group. I can always guarantee you when I do that and I put it on pre-sale, it's going to sell out. Because everybody wow. has had a, a, a hand in it. Yeah. And they feel connected to it. I love it. I love it. And uh, the Bamboo boardroom. <laughs> I'm not in the boardroom. I gotta, I, gotta, I, I gotta get in. I don't you know, gotta get right? In. I'm a customer. I don't know why I'm not in the group, right? I love it. That community part. How, how important have you found that just building community to be? I think it is so important because the community will tell you when it's looking for more. And mm -hmm. I found that that was what I was seeing was my customers were constantly calling me, emailing me, responding to social media, and I didn't have a group for them. And I was just like, well, they're basically telling me that they want to communicate with me. They're basically telling me that they want to socialize with each other yeah. because they were in the comments talking to each other about what they purchased and how much they love the brand. And it was just like, okay, you got to catch up to what they're doing. And that's going to mean that you have to build this group. Now, I will say there's an opportunity within that group to go even further. And I think that how you do that is finding those people that rise to the top and getting them engaged in being, um, you know, moderating some of the conversations in there and being able to then also put more ideas into the group. You know, it doesn't matter to me if I, if I hold stuff and I say, oh, I got some secret and I'm not going to tell you what it is. Yeah. It doesn't benefit me to do that. It benefits me to say, hey, you guys are in a, an exclusive club. Let me tell you what's going on. That's where the money is. That's where the genius is because then you get feedback, you get um, buy-in, you get people excited for what you're about to do. That's where that group comes in, is really being able to use that group as your, you know, almost your street team yeah. to say, oh, Bamboo is coming out with something. You remember that brand I told you about? I love her. Da, da, da. And it's it's that group that I'm using to create even more of that no like, and trust factor. I have people come back um, to Bamboo at an alarming rate. It's like seven, in May, we, we tracked a 70% return customer rate. Like that was amazing. 70% of the people that bought in 30 days came back to buy again. And, mm -hmm. you know, they may or may not be buying for themselves again. They may right. be buying as a gift. A gift or something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. There was, you know, Mother's Day was, you know, during that time frame. So a lot of people came back for Mother's Day. So you, you think about that and you think about these people are raving fans. If you're coming back with, you know, with, excuse me, with that much um, repetitiveness, you love the brand. Yeah. So get those people to start going out and, and representing the brand and talk to you. Give them an um, opportunity to have a reward system so that if they bring somebody in, they get you know, points. If they buy something, they get points. And then they look for opportunities to buy more so that they get more points. So this is, you know, this is for me an, an eye-opening experience to involve the customer in the brand more and more. Hey, I got one more question I want to ask you because I think you have like a lot of expertise and more than the average person in this. A lot of new brands that start out that are inventory-based brands, meaning like, hey, we got to have inventory to actually move inventory. And if we don't have it on the shelf, we don't make money. I think um, now you've been through multiple ways of being able to source and fund inventory. Can we talk about that for a second? Sure. Uh, <laughs> because I know a lot of people oftentimes think, well, if I just don't have the money, I can't do it. But there are a lot of options out for them, right? Can you talk about some, yeah. what are some of the options that you've, Definitely. you know, either seen and or used over the years? 
So I would say the one that I have seen that I would um, th that I model how I borrow money from is a factor. So if you if you need inventory and you know that that's what you're going to use that money for, borrow money for that. Um, and that means you go to a company. There are several companies out here that do it that strictly fund inventory. But then you can also create that for yourself. But what that means is. I need. I have inventory. I have a ten thousand dollar inventory lot coming. I need ten thousand dollars to cover this. I don't. I may have ten thousand dollars, but I don't necessarily want to take my my cash out of my right, reserve correct. to do it. So I'm going to go and borrow that. I'm going to negotiate my rate to make sure that 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 rate that I'm paying them isn't going to. It's not like a credit card rate. You're like, don't do that to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but make sure that that rate is um is enough to 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 warrant you borrowing the money to do it. And then when you pay it back, pay it back based on sales. So I pay back money quickly. I, I borrow money a lot. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not afraid to say that. It's not, it's not any type of dig on the company. It's, I'm, it's a smarter way to do business. Right. I'm, I'm borrowing money to make money. And if I can make money, if I'm looking at my numbers and I really know what my numbers are, my margins are good, if I borrow that money to do that, I know that that percentage that I'm paying them is is well a, a good enough investment because I've made X amount of percentage. So really know your numbers, but borrow money with the intent of paying it back based on the sales of that inventory. I don't, um, when I first started borrowing money, I was borrowing money for, you know, to um, pay that contractor or to pay that bill. And then I was just like, okay, well, the sales weren't supporting the payback. That's good. So I, I was, just, I couldn't understand why I, you know, I had like a $2,000 loan. It was taking me months to pay it off. <laughs> but the reality was I didn't have a plan to pay it back efficiently. Once I got hit to that idea of paying back based on inventory sales, I could borrow, you know, $30,000, $50,000 and pay back in a matter of months because the sales were justifying the, the for me the right for me to pay to borrow that money in and, the first place and you found this model to be more effective for you at least yes then what a lot of people do is they instantly see all right um here's an offer from paypal here's an offer from shopify right or something like this but you're getting better yeah. terms now i'll tell you this i get better terms when i go to i have a i have one particular um investor that i can talk to and her and I sit down and we talk through my numbers. We talk through my plans, my strategy, uh, my launches and what's coming up so that she knows and she can offer advice on how to use the funds that she's giving me. And we have a plan on how, how long it's going to take me to pay it back and what means I'm going to use to pay it back. Because she wants her money she, back. Right, right. She wants her <laughs> money back. And, but she's, and she's in it because she wants the business to grow. Her That's and good. her thought is that I want to continue to be your primary investor. Yeah. And so I'm not going to give you money if it's not a great investment. And I'm going to tell you what is and what isn't. So I have that, that, that sounding board, which is really, really good. So building a relationship with somebody who is the decision maker that has a vested interest in your business is probably the best way to borrow money. But I will also tell you, I borrow money from Shopify. I borrow money from PayPal because I still use that model whenever I borrow that money. So you have to have an understanding of what money means and mm. what is the good investment versus just borrowing money. There are a lot of people I know that out there like, well, Shopify just offered me, you know, five thousand dollars. I'm going to take it. For what? Yeah. How are you going <laughs> to For what? It? How are you going to? Yeah. How are you going to? Like, this is like this is a street game. You, 
<laughs> you got to know how you're going to pay that back. Um, and then, uh, you know, otherwise you're sitting on these loans and they're just compiling. And then you're you're forced to go into a credit card now because, you you know, and then you, you they got that money compiling. And then you go back and you look at your you know, your debt schedule at the end of the month and you're like, how do I owe all this money? It's because you had no plan to pay it back. Yeah. And that's another um, a suggestion I would have is have a debt schedule. Put a debt schedule together where you know who you owe, how much you owe, what interest rate you're paying, um, how much you pay them every month and when it's going to be paid off. Because when you look at that debt schedule, it'll slow you down from taking that money just because somebody offered it to you. And it will also get you in the mind of, okay, that interest rate is higher than this one. And I could get something that is, you know what I mean? So yep. you'll be able to maneuver your money and manage your money better if you know where it is. I say all the time, right? Uh, if you can't measure it, you can't track it. Right. <laughs> You're not staying on top of it and making right. the most of that money. Right. All right. So uh, real quick, for the people that are watching and they said, oh, my goodness, this is a great conversation. But where can I find them sheets? Where can I find them pajamas? <laughs> like, like, how do they find you and Bamboo online and how can they get some of this product in their hands? Which I'm telling you all, I highly endorse. Like, I got the pajamas. I got the robe now. Yeah. We have several sets of sheets because once you have one, like oh. when you washing those, yeah. you can't go back to. You can't go back. You know, we found ourselves <laughs> when we only had one pair uh, or one set of sheets. We literally just couldn't put other sheets. Like we got to do the whole, the whole wash. Like when they come <laughs> off the bed, they got to get back on the bed that night. Exactly. And we just say, look, this is this is too much stress. <laughs> That's what people ask me all the time. They say, well, how many sets of sheets should one have? And I said, well. Get one set, <laughs> and then when you're looking at your other sets, like they're the enemy, you come back for your second exactly. set. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so you can find me online, uh, bamblue, B-A-M-B-L-U dot co dot C-O. Um, you can also find us on social media on any platform at Bamblue Sleep. All right, I love it. Guys, again, I tell you, right, take what Angela's talking about. She get a lot of information about how to actually get inventory onto your shelves, about how to grow a business, how to rebrand, because a lot of you may be in a position and maybe now you say, hey, I'm fine, but you find in the future that you are where you may need to actually rebrand. Guess what? Don't be afraid of it. Take it by the horns, walk straight into it, and you can have success like Bamboo. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Traffic Sales and Profit Podcast. Don't forget to download and subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms. Also, visit us at www.trafficsalesandprofit.com forward slash podcast. On that page, you'll have all the links to follow us on social, me at Lamar Tyler and the at Traffic Sales and Profit brand, in addition to information on our upcoming events, information on how to get a free copy of my paperback book, and more so that you can be the best entrepreneur possible. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode.